ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of INC Radio. My name is Carl Bimich and I am joined as ever by my co-host. He is the ant to my deck, the Morecambe to my wise, the Reeves to my Mortimer. It's Clay Richardson, you know him better as Uncle Joey MMA. Clay, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure to be here for my 18th time here. Been yeah. here pretty much every single time there's been a podcast I've been here. So, yeah, it's great. Pleasure to be back as always. 18 times. I I think I've had more meetings with you doing this show than I have actual dates. Well, we can change that. When we get to episode 100, we can get Claudia Gadelia or somebody <laughs> on the show. I think Claudia's taken. I think Claudia's in a very happy relationship, which I'm not going to get invested in. So, I think she's starting an OnlyFans account or something. I think I heard something like that last night on Twitter. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> that's not true. Don't take that out of context, but be pretty interesting if that's true. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a lot of um, teenage boys who'll be Googling that one. <laughs> we'll have to see. We certainly will. We have got ourselves a jam-packed show coming up. We have got all of our events, which we have missed since the last time we did this show, so we'll be going back to Fight Island to be talking about um, Benavidez versus Figueredo, Robert Whittaker versus Darren Till. A preview coming up of our event taking place at Vegas this weekend. Dirk Brunson takes yeah. on Edmund Shabazian. The world of mixed martial arts, though, isn't only restricted to the UFC. Bellator were back in action last weekend. One championship, they came back uh, later on today. And also, there's also a certain boxing match involving two legends, which we'll be talking about in a little bit more detail and most likely condemning. <laughs> That's a fight I'm definitely interested in. You definitely pay- watching that one. <laughs> Are you going to pay for it, though? We'll have to see about that. Definitely not. <laughs> we have got, got no problem saying that. <laughs> we have got plenty of stuff coming up on the show, but we are going to be going back to Fight Island, which was about two weeks ago from the time that we've recorded this, and we're going to be talking about our flyweight title fight. Davison Figueiredo took on Joseph Benavidez, a rematch from their first fight back in February. Um, a lot of people thought that Figueredo was coming into the fight as the favourite. He had the knockout win during the first fight, which of course ended in all the controversy because he missed weight, and of course the headbutt as well. So a lot of people thought Figueredo was going to win that one. I personally went that way myself. I don't think anybody expected it to be as dominant as it was. (laughs) Yeah, watching that, that had to be... Man, I'm trying to think of more dominant displays this year. I know there's definitely more in UFC history, but I'm just thinking of this year. Maybe you brought up uh, Felicia Spencer versus Nunes, but that was over five rounds. That was just one round of just pure barrage and just brutality. And the, he had three knockdowns, and whenever he was on the ground, the submission attempts that he was pulling were just so, so uncomfortable to watch, man. It was brutal, man. It, it was like a street fight. And some guy just wasn't prepared for the the competition. It, it honestly looked like that. It was brutal, man. And the grappling side of it was something that a lot of people didn't really take yeah. into the equation with Figueredo. A lot of people put it down yeah. as a striker versus grappler matchup. And, yeah, obviously I think Joe was rocked from the first couple of knockdowns. Yeah. But it, it was so one-sided. That could have very easily been a 10-8 round if it continued for another mm-hmm. 10, 15 mm-hmm. seconds. Yeah. And I think as well, what 
made that performance so impactful for me. Not only was it because Figueredo did so well, the flyweight division for a long time has needed that big explosive mm -hmm. figure. I mean, mm -hmm. as much as we respect Mighty Mouse, and I think Demetrius is one of the best to ever do it, he never caught the public's eye. And I think Figueredo has the potential to do that. If he learns his English, mm -hmm. becomes a bit more of a charismatic figure away from the <laughs> octagon, he could, he could be that sort of person to put Flyweight back on the map. Well, it looks like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to set up that Cody Garbrandt versus Figueredo fight. That's, that's nuts. That's something I like about doing these podcasts a little bit later after a couple cards because you get info on upcoming fights since we're in this pandemic and everything's happening so quickly we get we get fight announcements just for waiting a couple of days like <laughs> we got so much more to talk about if we just wait a little bit but yeah going back to that that's that's pretty insane that they're trying to give cody garbrandt a title shot i'm i'm disappointed by the ufc for that i mean i understand it from the business perspective i'm somebody who personally likes to likes to push towards the idea of, dare I say, the more marketable fighters getting into these positions, obviously for the sake of the UFC, but not when it comes at the expense of people who've deserved it. In my opinion, you look at people like uh, Brandon Moreno, uh, Alex mm -hmm. Perez, who've been on some fantastic winning streaks. I think Perez especially, with what he did to mm -hmm. Formiga at UFC 250, I think has a very good claim for that title shot. I understand why they've gone with Cody Garbrandt, obviously big knockout artist. Him versus Figueredo could be a belter. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the guy is 1-3 in his past four and never fought a flyweight before. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. It reminds me, uh, not not obviously a flyweight, but it reminds me when Jose Aldo dropped a bantamweight to fight Marais. It reminds me a little bit of that, not, not nearly as extreme down the flyway but it, it does remind me a little bit of that but i don't think aldo was going on that much of a skid i don't think he only won one fight out of three one fight out of four. Oh, because garbrand <laughs> lost the two dillashaw fights then got knocked out by pedro munoz and then got that win over a sun Tso. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay but again so, yeah, that's that's we'll what being that's what being charismatic and that's what being a knockout artist does for you the only reason yeah, i'm happy about that yeah. The only reason yeah. I'm happy about that is because if we're doing Figueredo versus Garbrandt, that means we have the chance for Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because Cody Garbrandt, he can really... I wonder what they're going to do with him if he stays in Bantamweight. They probably... Do you think they'd give him like an Aljamain Sterling or Corey Sandhagen? Or do you think... He could maybe bargain his way to a title shot. Or if everybody's locked up, if it's like one of those situations, like what they're doing with Holloway and Max, or not Holloway and Max, Holloway and Volkanovski 3. They're trying to set up a trilogy because everybody else is locked up, apparently. Well, I think that's the UFC's fault. I said for a long time that while I do like Max and I understood the idea of him getting a rematch, they should have, I think... Featherweight was such a strong division, it didn't mm -hmm. need to have like Yair versus Zabit and the Korean Zombie uh, fighting somebody else. Mm -hmm. What they should have done is, I've said this for a while, they should have done Volkanovski versus the Zombie and then done Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. Okay, okay, I like that. 
again, now, it's, it's not. They're doing. It's nothing doing against. It's nothing team. against um, Max Holloway. I mean, Max mm-hmm. Holloway's a fantastic fighter. It's just there are other options available. If it was a dead division, if it was like heavyweight, and it was only Stipe versus DC, I could understand <laughs> that a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was interrupting you there, so continue your bit. Which bit? I don't even know. What <laughs> I just said uh, they're setting up as a beat versus Yair now as well. So that's I, also in the cards. I believe that's the 29th of August that event's going to be mm-hmm. taking place. Yeah. Um, where are you gauging for that one? I'll be surprised if it happens. I think it will because the pandemic and everybody's locked down and stuff. I don't think there's going to be an injury or anything like that. I think I think it will probably happen. But... I'm going against the grain. I think Yai is going to win that one. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, a lot of people are bringing up his cardio. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I'm sure that's something that Subito will be working on because he'll have to have prepared mm-hmm. himself for five-round fights. But as technical and as stylistic as Zabit is, he's not, he's not a power puncher. So I don't yeah. see him finishing Yair in the first two rounds. Yeah, his style is... We haven't seen him in so long. Like, when was his last fight? Uh, it was Calvin Cato. I think it was September last year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Because that was the the Moscow card, and they switched it all around. It was supposed to be a five-rounder originally or something. I or think, something like that. I think Volkov was going to fight... Uh, I'm tempted to say... Yeah, it was, it was that. Volkov pulled out of a fight or something like that. No, because Volkov got rescheduled against Greg Hardy, but Volkov yeah. was going to fight... I'm tempted to say Overeem. Okay. Um, so that fight fell through. Last minute, they bumped um, Zabit and Calvin Cato up to the main event, but because it was short notice, it was only three rounds. So it's quite similar to what's happened yeah. with Brunson and Shabazian this weekend. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite, though, because they're bumping into five rounds, aren't they? Brunson versus Shabazian? No, it's going to be three rounds. Really? Okay. <sighs> quite frustrating everybody i'm seeing saying is that that it's five rounds what the hell yes don't believe the internet (laughs) i mean i mean we've had enough of donald trump to know that we shouldn't be hearing what we shouldn't believe what we read on the internet it's quite strange because i saw a video it said brunson it was like an mma fighting interview with Derek brunson he said i always wanted it to be five rounds in like the thumbnail title so i just assumed that 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 meant it's five rounds but i guess he was saying in hindsight <laughs> that's my fault then what would your standout um, performances for you on the benavides figueredo card oh man let me pull it up here i like the hermanson fight that was pretty surprising I had Gastelum winning that one. I thought that Kelvin was going to win that one. Because I I don't think Jack has... I mean, Jack's okay as a striker, but he's fought his in the grappling. And I think Kelvin, who has has a lot of power at that weight class, um, was going to just tee off on him. But credit where it's due, Hermanson just got him down almost immediately. Heel hook, which I love seeing leg submissions. I mean, not obviously because of the damage that can be done, but... The technique that goes into pulling one of those off is very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jack Hermanson, you know, I, I felt he benefited a little bit from that sort of transitional phase of middleweight, where we saw guys like Rockhold and Weidman going by the wayside, and Hermanson just sort of fitted in without really proving himself. That's a big win for him. Mm-hmm. And 
Mm-hmm. He might not be fighting for titles, but he's going to be one of those tough gatekeeper guys that you're going to have to go through a war with if you want to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was pretty surprised in Gaslam. What's mm. up with him, man? I think he's... He got a lot of luck on his run up at middleweight. Because if you look at the people that he was beating, Tim Kennedy, Michael Bisping, in a fight that should never have happened anywhere, um, Jack Revere, which was a split decision. So he was fighting guys who were sort of in their late 30s, sort of entering their twilight. Yeah. And maybe we're starting to see now that he's fighting genuine middleweights, Mm -hmm. like genuine middleweight contenders. He's maybe not handling it as well as what he should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that a makes shame. Sense. It's a shame as well because I mean, Kelvin Gastelum is a hell of yeah. a fighter, and if he has the discipline and he can put his mind and his body to it, he's capable of dominating a middleweight and welterweight. Yeah, it's a shame that Robert Whitaker fight never happened. That would have been a proper fight. And I have to put my hands up. You can watch the two thirty four preview show. I thought that Kelvin was going to win that. Really? Okay. I just, I just, my gut said that he was going to catch him. You thought it was going to be what Izzy did? <laughs> well, not that technical. I mean, Kelvin's not going to be bouncing around and doing all the <laughs> like Matrix-style backbends. But um, no, I thought, I just thought I could picture Kelvin catching him with like a big right hand. Yeah, I could and... see that sort of Bisping style. Yeah, I could have seen that. Well, of course, we've got to think of this, but you saw, like, the greatest moment in British MMA history. <laughs> I always bring him up in a negative light. My apologies. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. Trust me, not much that you can applaud the Brits for these days. Can't blame you, to be honest. Um, other standout performances for me on that Figueredo card, and on the subject of uh, leg submissions, what about Ariane Lipsky? That is one of the most brutal submissions I have seen for a long time. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was rough to watch. Because, um, obviously, I have a lot of friends on Facebook and on Twitter who, like, obviously follow the sport. And more than Figueredo, more than Hermanson, that was the clip that they were mm-hmm. um, retweeting between them. There's something more brutal about a female submission than there is a men's, for, for whatever reason. I just... I think it's something to do with just just general morality just something in your body that just doesn't like seeing the opposite sex getting hurt i guess <laughs> it's just common uh, decency maybe just coming out of us a little bit we're pleasant i yeah. mean <laughs> people say the men are scumbags but we're, we're we're lovely blokes really yeah we got some conscience yeah speaking of lovely blokes that brings <laughs> us on to robert whittaker who took on darren till this was the final event which took place on Fight Island. Um, a lot of hype for this one, and maybe it wasn't the barn burner that a lot of people thought it was going to be, but very technical fight, good performances mm. for both men, but in my opinion, right result. Uh, Whitaker winning that one unanimously, 48-47. Yeah, it was a great fight. Um, glad to see nobody really got starched. I didn't want to see anybody get no. starched in that, especially Whitaker. That would have been brutal if he got starched in that. But it was a good fight. I like the uh, a lot of people say that they didn't like the the knee stomps or whatever that Whitaker did. That's pretty controversial. But uh, I'm saying if it's it's there to use, use it. What are I know your that, on that. I know that tw- I know that Whitaker um, 
did do a lot of damage to Till's leg. Uh, Till's yeah. got a uh, damaged uh, MCL, so he's going to mm-hmm. be in a cast for another six weeks. So, fairly certain we won't be seeing um, Darren Till back in action earlier this year. Yeah. While I was, I don't know what I I wanted to think about Darren Till's performance because, on the one hand, he's sure that he can hold his own against a top level guy. It was very similar to the Wonder Boy fight where you thought, yeah, this guy deserves to be considered one of the best in the sport. But he's still a work in progress. And I mm-hmm. think I think at times it's short enough fight especially, he can be a little bit nervous of going in for mm-hmm. of making the first move. And I think mm-hmm. when you have a Muay Thai style which is very static, which is very reliant on the other person making the pace, it doesn't work well when it goes to the judges. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I could see that because till like uh, they pushed him really hard when he was in the UFC. Like they immediately tried to do sort of a. It reminded me a little bit of Connor, a little Connor McGregor esque when they set it up in Liverpool with Wonder Boy. That's definitely what it reminded me of when he came out the walkout with the Sweet Caroline and everything. That's probably the closest thing I've seen since like an Ireland show. So. It's definitely a work in progress, as you said. He's not really, not really as deadly as Connor, and he's not really. I don't want to compare him to Connor. I don't know why I keep on saying that, but he, he is a work in progress. He really is. The strange thing for me with with the whole vice of Darren Till though was, he'd had four fights in the UFC already. Cause like Connor, yeah. I mean Connor fought, I think twice. He had the fight against Brimage and Max Holloway. And then after that, they did the Brandau fight. So it was quite quick for him to go from nothing to something. Yet it yeah. took it took till like four wins, and then just out of nowhere, he gets the uh, fight in Poland against Cowboy, gets that yeah. big finish, and suddenly Till Fever sweeps uh, sweeps the UFC. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It is a star-studded moment. Honestly, it made his career. It's perfect fight at the perfect time for him, at least. Cowboy got. Mm. Dacked in that fight. That was horrible to watch, man. That always seems to happen with Cowboy in the first round. If you always seem to pressure him, you can always seem to put him out if you pair him up against a, a sort of power puncher like Till or Connor. It always just seems to happen. In the RDA fight as well. It's just hard to really, I don't uh, think get into ha- the mood when he's fighting early. I don't think he enjoys the big occasions either. Yeah. yeah. If you put him in a main event or a title fight you can see that his body language is a yeah. lot different to what it is. Because yeah. the one that always sticks in my mind for me with, um, with Cowboy was when he did the press conference for the Connor fight. And you could mm-hmm. see him, he's like beating on the table saying, yeah, we're ready to go. It's not like he was trying to convince himself yeah. to get hyped for the fight. Yeah, he wasn't really, he wasn't insulting Connor at all. It just seems like he was trying to hype himself up, as you said, really. He was just trying to hype. He didn't really talk any really on the technical side at all in that fight as well. Before the fight, during the interviews, he didn't really say anything that technical about it. He just said, I'm going to go brawl. People say I should shoot him for the submission. Screw that. <laughs> and yet you picked him out. to win. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Do you think that was a little bit of thinking with your heart on that one? I was making Father Cerrone. I posted that. <laughs> I was making that at the same time, so that was my fault. <laughs> In terms of the other performances on that uh, fight card, though, um, 
bit of a disappointing one from our perspective, Alexander Gustafsson's heavyweight debut. For Fabricio Verdum, a lot of people think it's going to be Verdum's last fight in the UFC. Um, yeah. And a lot of people were curious to see what Gustafsson could look like at heavyweight. Would he have the striking advantage to maybe knock out Verdum, who looked, in my opinion, awful when he fought Alexei yeah. Linnick at UFC 249? So a lot of people thought Gustafsson was going to make easy work of that one. Uh, Verdum showed us why he is such a well-regarded grappler. First round armbar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was insane. It reminded me of not really the same same outcome as uh well the same outcome as Fedor fight, but he didn't really get like knocked down severely. Like in the first couple of seconds, he took his time after he was getting he was getting punched up a little bit, but then he just took him down. And that was it. He was crazy actually. And I think it's a real shame as well for Gus because Gus has had so many question marks about his future recently. Obviously. Yeah, he's chosen not to pursue his career at light heavyweight. He's going to try and keep going it at the heavyweight now. In my opinion, I know it's a lot of ridicule. People saying, "Oh, he's he's a he's a thick boy now, thick double C boy." <laughs> um, in my opinion, I thought he looked he looked healthy. He looked light on yeah. his feet for a heavyweight, and he just faced somebody who was stylistically a tough matchup for him. I still want him to pursue heavyweight because I think he can still be. A tricky guy at that at that mm. weight class. Yeah, in terms of the other heavyweights, he, I think he was a bit more agile than the average heavyweight that you'll see out there. Like he definitely looked more agile than like a Derek Lewis and or a Francis Ngannou. Like he he was moving around pretty well actually in the cage. It's just I the c- matchup was just a nightmare for him. Really. I can only think of one heavyweight who, in my opinion, moves better than Gus, and that's Sybil Garn. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Stipe a little bit. He's got some good. He's got good footwork. Stipe's boxing is so underrated, in my opinion, especially mm-hmm. striking defense. Mhm, mhm. Especially if you watch that Ngannou fight. Yeah. Insane stuff. Um, in terms of the other like fights on that fight card, and one guy who I deliberately missed uh, when we talked about Figueroa versus Benavidez, because I wanted to talk about him again. Hamzat Shemaev, the big flavor of the month. <laughs> if you go on MMA Twitter, everybody is talking about this guy. Man, I don't know what it was about. I think it's the stats. I think it's the stats. Like that whole stat that he's only absorbed like two strikes in his whole UFC career. And he's had like he's fought twice in like 10 days or something like that. And people are just using two, two, two. Everybody's bringing up two. He's only taking two strikes. But. Man, I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm always wary when it comes to hype trains. Um, exactly. Because, uh, trust me, I've seen so many times in MMA where we've had fighters who are hyped up as the next big thing and then seeing them come unstuck. Um, obviously, Johnny Walker's the one that comes to the mind for a lot of people. I, I think Shemaev does have a lot of a lot of potential, especially when you look at his stuff on the regional scene where... You can see, because people are saying, "What's going to happen if a guy can't t- if he can't take a guy down?" Well, I've seen fights on the regional circuit where he's knocking guys out, big power uppercuts. Mm. So he's got the striking to go with the grappling. That being said, though, <coughs> just got to clean my thought. That being said, maybe it's Corona. I don't know. <laughs> I thought I had it yesterday. My throat was sore. Feel good now. <laughs> That's the worst thing to come out of all this. 
every time I you know. feel any sort of uh, tickling in your cough, <laughs> any sort of uh, hot head, any fever, everybody just thinks, oh God, I've got it now, I've got to stay away. I know, I know it's bad, but... Getting back on track, nothing. though, <laughs> um, the thing with Shemaev is, if you look at the people that he's faced, Reese McKee taking the fight on, what, 10 days notice, UFC debut, he wasn't going to realistically pose much of a threat. Mm-hmm. And then with John Phillips, big power puncher, but he's got zero grappling. And I'm somebody who is one of the more supportive John Phillips guys on the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to see him taking a jump in quality. Maybe I'm thinking yeah. someone around the sort of sort of a, a Nico Price or a Mickey Gall sort of a yeah. figure. Mike Perry possibly. I, I, I don't think they're allowed to give Mike Perry a fight. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they issued a statement that they're not giving Mike Perry a fight until he's mentally stable. Which is a good call. Um, yeah, but he's gonna be a dad. You see that? I did see that. Yes. You very happy? You happy for him? I think so. I think being a parent. I mean, regardless of who the person is, I think being a parent is a really rewarding time, and I hope that that's the sort of thing that makes him mature as a person. Because based on the stories that we've heard, um, he certainly needs a lot of that. You gotta hope it's on good terms, so you gotta hope this isn't a nightmare type of thing that can happen to somebody. Remember when uh, Sanchez got, uh, Diego Sanchez, he got, uh, I don't think it was Sanchez, was he? He got infatuated with some girl and he... I thought you were going to say Joshua Fabia there. (laughs) No. No. Maybe I'm thinking of Tito, because I know Tito, that happened. He was uh, Uh, engaged to a woman or something. Jenna Jameson. Yeah. Yeah, it derailed his career a little bit. That's when he went on that skid. So, I don't know. He already, his last fight was pretty good, but I definitely think we should. Hey, that's a question for you, actually. I don't think you should give him another fight this year. That's a question for you, though. Uh, just really? Because we mentioned Joshua Fabia. Who would you oh. rather have in your corner? Joshua Fabia or Latori Gonzalez? Fabia. Of course I'm going to go with Fabia. He's he got the meditation, dude. He knows what he's doing. He can calm me down in a fight. That's exactly what I need. I don't need some chick screaming at me. <laughs> in terms of some of the other things that happened on that card, a uh, pretty pretty good one as well for the British fighters. Nathaniel Wood getting himself a victory. Um, also wins for Tom Aspinall. I thought he looked very good on his debut, admittedly against weaker opposition Jake Collier. Paul Craig, another submission win. Uh, good one for my boy there. Uh, and a good win as well for your boy, Tanner Bowser. Yeah, that was a great fight. A lot of people were... I didn't like the the stoppage. I thought no. it should have been stopped way earlier when he got that huge knockdown. That was it. Like, he didn't need to keep on going. That was a the theme of the night, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. with the Chernaldo fight. That one was bad man like that's bad like you could put that in like a compilation from the angle who knows like we weren't looking at his face but from the angle that looked really bad i could see that i could see that herbert was done the moment he went yeah. down there because it was there was almost a delay in his reaction because trinaldo yeah. threw that big overhand and it was just like he seemed okay for sort of a split second and then just went down you could see the eyes roll back i think Herb Dean made a bad call for that one. And it's not the first time that Herb Dean 
has had this happen. Obviously, Tanner Borsia earlier on in the night, and then it was the stuff with CB Dolloway on the Moscow card, which he got yeah. a lot of blowback for. Maybe it's because we're obviously in the middle of a pandemic and we're not being distracted by the crowds, etc. Am I the only one who's noticing a lot more ref mistakes this year? I don't know, because you could think, like, there was always mistakes, like the Robbie Lawler fight, like, that was mistakes with not, like, late stoppage, but, like, early. Like, there's always early and late, and it always seems like it's, there's never really, well, there is in between getting it right. <laughs> you get it right, that's in between, but there there always seems to be those cases that you can bring up with Herb Dean where he looks really bad in the moment, like, really bad. Because, am I right in saying he refed uh, Rockhold versus Weidman as well? Yeah. Yeah, I remember somebody posted a compilation, Herb Dean mess-ups, and, like, <laughs> like counted how many strikes were thrown during that Weidman-Rockhold thing, and it was 60 strikes from top mount, man. 60, plain to the head. That's nuts. And, I mean, you, <laughs> you can put two and two together to make five. Yeah. Um... But you can make an argument that Weidman hasn't been the same since that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There are there are those fights that'll just ruin a, your chin. Like a lot of people were saying that was happening to Whitaker in the Romero fights, and you could make a case for that. But he did look good in the the Till fight. He did get knocked down. I think it, which round was that? Was that the first round? Uh, first round. Till knocked Till knocked him down. Yeah, yeah. But he recovered very well planted his feet and he stuck to the game plan and he got it done it was pretty impressive just going back to the stoppages though because mm-hmm. i was thinking i was thinking the lockdown maybe has played a bigger part because if you look at it from this year alone since the lockdown came in and we started yeah. doing the empty arena shows we had keith peterson with the dominic cruz stoppage jason herzog yeah. with anthony smith and glover Toshiba. everything that happened with um herb dean uh, last weekend, and Leon Roberts with the uh, Jose Aldo stoppage. Yeah, there's also the, the Cruz one always comes up for some reason, but I, I think it does have to do with the crowd. I really do think it has to do with the I crowd. I think so. Because you're, you're hearing all the punches, and you're, you're seeing it way more clear, and there's not as much background, like, distractions, I feel like. You're not seeing that many faces looking at you. So I, I do feel like the crowd not being there definitely has an impact on that because you can see everything a lot more clearer now. And I think as well the crowd themselves, people paint MMA crowds as being quite rowdy, quite sort of just bleed types, but they can also mm-hmm. recognize when a fight's going on too long. Like the one that sticks in my yeah. mind was when uh, Cyborg fought Jan Finney in Strike Force, and you could mm-hmm. hear that the crowd were basically, they started booing once Kim Winslow went, let that fight go on far longer than it should have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones because that's a great point. Man, do you know any other ones? Because none of them are popping up right In now. In terms of the crowd <laughs> turning against it, I I do remember, I think it was Hector Lombard fought Neil Magny on an Australian card, and Percival let that go on into the third round. Um, when Lombard was being ground and pounded for like a good uh, three or four minutes yeah. and the crowd really turned on it big time and Steve mm-hmm. Percival hasn't been a popular ref in Australia since Yeah, like he always gets booed <laughs> <laughs> poor guy 
<laughs> you've got to be so thick-skinned in a job like that. I mean, being absolutely. Around... Well, I mentioned it when I did it on one of my um, INC videos that. Um, being a referee is probably the hardest job in mixed martial arts because if you get it right, you're not really going to get all that much praise. But when you get it wrong, you get tons of crap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of uh, the cruise fight, that's one that always seems to be brought up, like the cigarettes and tobacco. Like, what did he say? Like cigarettes and whiskey or something? What did he say? It was something like that. He said he's a breath stunk of um, cigarettes and whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he said that, but that one always seems to come up for some reason. Where you point it directly to the referee as a mistake. Same thing with uh, Colby Covington when he uh, lost a Usman fight. He had directly attacked Goddard. So it, you gotta have thick skin. You must have thick skin for that. <laughs> I thought the. The, the uh, Colby stoppage was fine. I can yeah. see the argument for why Cejudo versus Cruz was stopped. Personally, I would have let it go a little bit longer, but I can see why Keith Peterson made that decision. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a like absolutely horrendous stoppage, like sort of like the um, Felipe Nova versus Kyle Bradley. Like it wasn't like that situation. I still think the worst one for me and. I hate to say it because he is actually a very good ref, Kevin McDonald, for Kutalaba and Kalaev. <laughs> That's the worst one I've ever seen. <laughs> I gotta watch that. What was the one like? Um, Fabio Maldonado versus Fedor. That one is horrible, man, to watch. That is a beating. Like, that is some rigged refereeing. If you ever want to look for rigged refereeing, watch that fight. That is bad to watch. I covered it on one of my videos. I did the worst hometown mm. decisions, and what I found out was that Theodore pretty much organized the entire event. <laughs> so he sanctioned the referee. He sanctioned the judges. I think Putin was in attendance as well. <laughs> Man, that's bad. That's bad. That's literally rigged as you can get. That's like something you'd hear in like a movie, like this villain Russian prize fighter like something drago would do dude <laughs> like that's crazy actually on the subject they've released the first uh, pictures of Halle berry's mma film really what is it called uh bruised bruised is anybody else in that isn't gabby garcia in that or something uh, valentina shevchenko because oh. you know when chev went through a phase where she dyed her hair red that was yeah, for the yeah. film so she filmed her okay. scenes as a redhead and then, of course, once they finished recording, they um, uh, she dyed it back blonde again. Wow, that's badass. I wonder if she's going to fucking shoot anybody in that. <laughs> Maybe not in that film. Um, when they've, sorry, when they've, I don't know. You know how you just went through this phase when it started gender swapping loads of film roles? So, like, Ghostbusters yeah. became all female. When they do James Bond, horrible. I bet you Shevchenko's in it. Man, don't say that. I don't. I don't want to see that. A female James Bond. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I could see her maybe doing. Um, man, put her in. Uh, man, what's that movie? John Wick Four. Put her in that. She'd be perfect in that. I've always said they should do an MMA version of The Office. She could play Angela. <laughs> That's like the most obscure thing ever. Maybe you could see that on like a. 
MMA awards, so like sketch before the awards, they could probably do something like that. I can see that, but not as like a series. No, of course not. I was just being—I wasn't being serious. It's just they do look very similar. I do see it. I do see it. See, Angela, she married Dwight, took all the Dwight's karate lessons, and then she became Valentina Shevchenko. Okay, <laughs> who would be uh, who would be Kevin in that? Uh, ooh. John Morgan. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That could work. I'm surprised you didn't say like Roy Nelson or something. Yeah. Or... I lost sort of lost my train of thought there. We sort of talked about the office because about? I'm in the middle of watching it. <laughs> I'm rewatching it again over lockdown. Okay. We'll get back to MMA. Obviously, Fight Island. That was the last show that took place on Fight Island. Uh, so mm. we've had four events there. One of them was UFC 251. On the whole. Success or failure? I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. It was a um, normal size octagon, correct? Uh, yeah, they used a 30 footer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's quite strange that they're going directly back to the apex. I thought they would, uh, if they were going back to the apex, I thought maybe they would put in a bigger sized ring. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure Stipe did call for that, but I guess, guess they're not doing that. But I, yeah, I... in terms of island I, I liked it i believe the reason they're doing the 25 footer in the apex they can't fit a 30 footer in there but okay all the lighting is set up for a 25 footer oh yeah that'll probably take a long time to change the infrastructure for the lights that makes sense i think well, on, damn. i think on one hand i i liked fight island in that i felt that sort of air of mystery around it yeah. It made 251 feel special. Because that was one of the big criticisms I had with uh, 250, where having it at the apex just didn't feel as epic. I think with 251, because there was air of mystery around it, sort of, where is this place? What's it going to look like? It made the show feel quirkier. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's a great way of putting it. But I think the actual look of the apex is better. Yeah. Yeah, I do like uh, Apex's presentation. It does look a little bit better. I think Fight Island is, was a. Uh, it was pretty good considering they put it together in like a month or two. That's pretty impressive for what they did. But I do agree the presentation of Apex. It even though it's not on, like uh, I remember when they were talking about putting it on like that Indian reservation. It sort of reminds me of that sort of locale, like it's in some underground area. I don't know. <laughs> That's how I feel about the Apex. I like it. I mean, that being said, though, uh, Bellator are doing Bellator are doing their shows in the short term. They're doing them at the Mohegan Sun. And really? Okay. I saw the layout for their first show, and I thought, aesthetic wise, that their fight sphere in inverted commas it looked okay. Yeah, I thought it looked a little bit better than it normally does, to be honest. <laughs> I thought I liked the presentation of everything. It seemed like they changed a few things up and about. I, I believe uh, Bare Knuckle did the same thing. BKFC, their presentation was uh, completely different. But they actually had a, um, <clears throat> sorry, they actually had like a, a live crowd for that. They had people there. Whereabouts was that held? Which state? Oh man, let me look that up. BKFC, such. 
funny name. Uh, let's see. VKFC. What? 13. Was it open uh, air? I'm, t- I'm attempting to say I think it was open air, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. That could maybe be how they managed to get away with it then. Because I know they had a crowd for that Pat Militich uh, kickboxing fight. <coughs> okay. Yeah, I think they're doing more um, more at that same stadium. They didn't say that they're going anywhere, so I think they're going to keep on using that. I, I struggle with elements of Bellator, you know, because mm-hmm. I-, I consider myself a mixed martial arts fan rather than a UFC fan. So I want to see uh, the other promotions putting on good shows and saying, hey, there is good talent, there is good production outside of the UFC. But Bellator doesn't help itself. Because uh, I think I think there's something about the sound levels on Bellator shows which is just so obvious. <laughs> it's really distorting for me. And the fact that it takes over two hours to do four fights, their pacing <laughs> needs a lot of work. Man, you're talking about their pacing now? Back when it was on... Well, it still is on Paramount, but... Man, when they used to actually show the ads when you were watching that, it was horrible because it was the same three ads over and over. It was like, what was that show, Tattoo Master or whatever? It was the same ad for that over and over. So it was horrible. I remember when uh, Fedor versus Matt Mitrione fought. I don't know. Was that a pay-per-view? Yeah, it was a pay-per-view. Yeah, that was the first time they didn't show that, and it was so (laughs) refreshing. That was the first time they didn't do that. But, yeah, their pacing definitely does need some work. Definitely. I, speaking about the, the sound levels that you said, I'm surprised you didn't mention one championship sound levels. I think those are even worse than that. It's 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 weird with one. Because, like, I mean, the, the actual content of one is very good. I just uploaded a video about it. But yeah. I do think that the crowds just seem dead for it. Maybe that's because it's... <laughs> It, they're sort of aging audiences and they sort of respect mm. the the athlete and the way they do like theater performances but you'd expect a crowd to be much more raucous and outside of a one or two fights i mean especially when they do the fights in in burma they yeah. can be really really rowdy but apart yes. from that there's just no atmosphere yeah, it's quite strange. You always see their phones out, too. It always looks like there's a bunch of lights in the crowd. <laughs> like, you don't see anybody. You just see lights. Like, their lighting is so strange for the crowd. Like, you don't see anybody. You never see anybody in the crowd other than when people are walking out. It's quite strange, but you, you are right. The crowd is normally always dead, but the sound levels on Chevello are always so weird. Like, the one today, he had, a, he had like, his microphone. It was it sounded pretty bad at times like it sounded like he was like yelling into like a soup can at times like it was not good but other times you'll hear him and he's like extremely quiet because they don't want to have him loud when he's yelling so the sound levels will be really weird i'm tempted to say i think chevello was doing it away from the arena okay so yeah that makes sense he was watching it on his screen commentating in just a, a booth somewhere yeah, there were times, like, uh, I forget which fight it was. I think it was um, the Patchdam fight, the title fight, Muay Thai featherweight, I believe. It was that fight, and for an entire round, only he talked. <laughs> Nobody else talked. It was only him talking, and then halfway through the next round, he asked Mitch to say something. It was pretty funny. <laughs> he, 
He's a strange one for me, Mitch Chelson. Yeah, that guy is really strange. He seems tone deaf. Like, <laughs> there's something about his voice. He just, he doesn't seem to really get into it. He just, he's always sounds so formulaic. <laughs> so that's the way to put it. He just sounds like a presenter, really. He doesn't sound like somebody that's enjoying the action. He just sounds like someone that's presenting a fight to you, really. That being said, normally normally Mitch can sound quite nasally. I thought he sounded yeah. <laughs> sounded okay this um, this afternoon. Yeah, he sounded great in terms of his actual voice. Yes, but <laughs> it doesn't really bring much to the show. No, those times when Chevella was talking, I wasn't really complaining. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Rather hear that. I think that's the best part of uh, one championship is Chevello. Yes. I think he carries his back on a lot of things. <laughs> carries everything on his back. He's, he's a fantastic commentator. Like, personally, I would say I would probably go. I think Marvel's number one. It's Marvel, Anik, yeah. then Chevello. Really? You don't like Rogan on there? You think he's getting bad? Well, no, I'm talking the play by play. Okay. You're not thinking color? In terms of color, I've read DC over Rogan. Really? I think okay. Joe has done fantastic work in promoting the sport and helping raise awareness outside of MMA circles. But mm. I think as the podcast has started getting bigger, as he started obviously with the whole Spotify thing, I think his interest is more in that than it is in mixed martial mm. arts. Yeah. And I think as well, I think that the big issue I've had with Joe recently is he started pushing his own agenda rather than calling it straight. Because mm-hmm. the one that sticks in my mind was um, when Chris fought Felicia Spencer. And yes, mm-hmm. he, was, he was right to praise yeah. Felicia's toughness because she, she took so many big shots in that fight. But he just spent the whole fight just talking about, oh, Chris, she looks knackered, she's tired. She, <laughs> how can she get down to 145? She needs a 155 class and all that sort of stuff as... Chris is just hammering Felicia. I think that was the biggest strike differential that Chris has had in any of her three-round fights. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure. And that just made me realise Joe, Joe holds, Joe holds grudges. Joe tries to tell his own story rather than try and tell the story of the fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He seems to be getting. Uh... I don't want to say old for it, but uh, you are seeing the Goldberg effect a little bit. He is relying a little bit too much on his yelling now instead of just giving a proper, precise evaluation of a fight. He seems to be a little bit more swayed nowadays. I th- and I think as well, another big issue I have with Joe is how fair weather he is. Yeah. Somebody wins the title for the first time, suddenly they're the greatest welterweight, <laughs> featherweight of all time. It's like, hang on a minute, weren't you just gushing over the former champion just a few weeks ago on your podcast? <laughs> yeah, I wonder if he called out uh, Yuri Prohoshka yet and said that he's been watching him for years and he knows he's going to fight John Jones. Like, I guarantee, I, guarantee, I, guarantee, I guarantee you Joe Rogan has never watched a Ryzen fight in his life. Yeah, <laughs> I can guarantee that. <laughs> you you think one... Dana has? You think Dana has? I think Dana would have. I think the way it would have worked was that Mick Maynard or Sean Shelby would have said, "Hey, here's this guy in Ryzen. I think he's really good," and then show Dana the footage. Okay. 
Okay. Because I think I've yeah, that so- would be how I think it goes down. I think I've read somewhere just... that part of the reason why they signed Fizayev was that one of his, I think his one of his best friend's kids was watching all these regional level shows, and they said, <laughs> "Hey, there's this guy who I think's really good. Maybe you should sign for the UFC." Dana had a look, saw what he liked, and then put him up against Diakasev. Really? So it's all about showing him footage? It is. I wonder if you could just tweet him footage, you know, <laughs> he'll sign a fighter. <laughs> Let's get that going. I'll let you go first. Yeah, who should we who should we put? Let's put uh let's put uh tension. Let's put tension Nasukawa on there. World class kickboxer. Fought Floyd Mayweather. He's got perfect marketability. Let's tweet it out. What about Tim? I mean, Tim's good friends with the show. We'll get him. <laughs> All right. I mean, he's I mean, he's like fourteen and seven, but hey, Jorge Masvidal's the biggest star in the sport, and he's lost thirteen <laughs> times. Yeah, well, now he's fighting um, Chimaev or whatever his name is. <laughs> well, Chimaev's fighting half of the roster based on the rumors you're hearing. He's fighting Connor. You see that? Connor said, "I accept." And he said, beg me. He retweeted saying, beg me. What's, That's the fight everybody wants to see. What's your opinion on the whole Shemaev rise? Are you, <laughs> I get the impression you're a little bit cynical. Yeah, I'm very cynical on it. I think everybody's jumping the gun a little bit. But if you go back and watch some of some of his fights in the regional circuit, there was like one on, uh, I think it was Brave or something. It was some Russian circuit. And he does a sick uppercut, and he knocks a guy out cold in, like, the first round. Like, his his striking doesn't look horrible. So I do see why some people are diving in on the train, but, man, we'll have to see. (laughs) We'll have to see. What I am going to be interested to see is our fight card tomorrow. We're recording this on the Mm -hmm. Friday. Saturday, this show is going to be taking place. Now, originally, this was supposed to be Holly Holm taking on Irene Aldana. Unfortunately, Aldana was diagnosed with COVID-19 as a precaution. She was pulled from the card. Uh, I'm hearing that the UFC are trying to reschedule that one for October. So that means that the core main is bumped up to our main event, and it means that Derek Brunson will be taking on Edmund Shabazian, middleweight bout, and a real veteran versus prospect matchup on the cards here. Yeah, this is definitely, uh, the main event is definitely uh, that gatekeeper matchup that we're all too familiar with. It's definitely uh, the rising star, the Edmund Tarverdian camp coming up against the gatekeeper, which is Brunson. It's quite strange to be calling him the gatekeeper when he, he was on the rise for a while there, but he just hasn't been able to break through. He keeps on, he always seems to have those incredible wins like that, uh, what was that one? Dan Kelly or whatever? That one was brutal, man. In Australia, that one was brutal. Because when you look at Derek Brunson's record, I mean, he's not losing to bad fighters. I mean, I've got the list of the guys that he's lost to here. Um, we'll ignore like, Kendall Grove. That was on the regional circuit. But again, Kendall Grove yeah. from Ultimate Fighter winner, so not too bad in itself. And then you've got Jokere, Yoel Romero, Robert Whittaker, Anderson Silva... Jokere again and Adesanya. So he's not losing to bad fighters. Yeah. Yeah. It always seems like when they put him up in uh, a lower class matchup, like I feel like they did that with the Dan Kelly. That was sort of like a, a real testing point to see where he was. And he, 
absolutely shattered that one. So I feel like they always seem to try and set him up in these situations. <laughs> they don't really give him these um, these sort of lower tier fighters. They always seem to match him up now with these rising stars. Same thing with Izzy. I always find with the middleweight division, it's almost like like step one is Brad Tavares. Yeah. You beat Brad Tavares, then you get Brunson. You get Brunson, then you get someone like, I don't know, it'll, it'll probably be Gastelum or Hermanson or someone like that. That's the next yeah. step. And then it's a title fight. Mm-hmm. I, per- I could personally see the winner of this fight fighting Hermanson. Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. From... Derek Brunson's perspective as well, the other factor is he's 36 years old now. He doesn't have that many chances to try and redeem himself as a fighter to say, hey, I'm more than just a gatekeeper. I can have a last-minute run to the title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, that's what Oberim's doing right now as well. He's trying to make that one last run to the title. And I think I'm probably this is probably more my bias getting in the way. I think Overeem has it in him to get back up there. Because the heavyweight division, you need a lot of street smarts. You need power and you need street Mm -hmm. smarts. And I can see Overeem, I mean, he he overcame Walt Harris. Walt Harris came all guns blazing. He managed to get through that one. He's going to be fighting Augusto Sakai, who Mm -hmm. I don't personally rate all that highly. So there's another win. And before you know it, I mean, Overeem could be having three or four wins. What was it? Four wins in five. And the one he lost was against uh, Voisenstrike, which was a fight he was winning until yeah. five seconds from the bell. Yeah. We're sort of seeing that uh, Arlovsky is uh, sort of the same as well. He's sort of uh, changing up his approach. He's sort of uh, putting all the haters away, saying that he has that glass chin all the time. Well, Arlovsky point fights now. He, play, he plays it yeah. very safe, but he's getting the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we talked about Dirk Brunson. Edmund Shabazian is the real sort of air side of this matchup. And on paper, you should be really excited about Edmund Shabazian because you've got 11-0 record. You've got 10 of them coming in the first round. The only one that didn't was his UFC debut against Darren Stewart. You should be really excited about watching this guy fight. But then you see the name Edmund Tarverdian and you just think, (laughs) I'm going to have to put the brakes on. I just can't 100% get behind this guy for that reason. Is that us being unfair? I don't think it is at all. I think really you can't can't really look past something like that. It is just just a prevalent thing that you're going to see when you look at an up-and-coming fighter like that and you see that name attached to it you know that there's that bad history you just can't look past the ronda stuff it's impossible it's impossible i'm in the same boat to an extent i mean the big reason why i'm not 100 getting behind edmund is be- is because of tarverdian however i also think to myself for all the grief that edmund gets and he's worthy of getting a lot of grief he must be doing something right to get another fighter into the top mm. ten. And this isn't. Yeah, it... And the thing is, as well, this isn't a Ronda situation where Ronda had the judo that she could fall back on if striking wasn't mm. helping her. 
but this is a pure striker that Edmund yeah. sort of groomed from the bottom to write to make this big star. So maybe it's just me sort of playing devil's advocate, but I think if you've got a guy into the top ten, he must have something about him. Yeah, and he's definitely doing something right with this guy, one hundred percent. But I I always bring up the Ronda stuff, but I think the more telling was uh, when Travis. Travis. When, yeah. That's the most telling one, to be honest. Like, his career took a dramatic turn once that happened. Dramatic. I think I'm right in saying... Am I right in saying that Ellenberger trained there for a little bit as well? Okay, I think I think Ellenberger and maybe Craig Weider as well, they had short spells at Glendale. Really? Okay. Didn't know that. I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm not 100% on Guida, but I definitely think Ellenberger did. I think it was when he fought Robbie Lawler. And I think okay. Joe and I think Joe even made a comment that he thought Ellenberger, Ellenberger's striking seemed a little bit off. Okay. That's quite strange. I didn't even know that. But yeah, back to your, back to your point. He must he must be doing something right. Like uh, it's sort of the opposite of uh, Ronda's rise because uh, she has that judo background. You know, she was more on the ground. She wasn't near the end. She was relying a lot more on her boxing. But this is the complete opposite, really. Yeah, because he's always had that sort of striking background. Yeah. Because the thing is, as well, I, I ran the poll for uh, Brunson versus Shabazian, and people have got Edmund winning this one 69 to 31, so they're very much in favor <laughs> of Edmund getting the win. Okay. The, the thing is, at what point does sort of the Edmund wall? sort of become a non-factor. Are people going to be are people going to be bringing up Talverdian all the time if Shabazian becomes champion and gets like three or four defenses are people still still going to say, "Oh, but it's got Edmund." <laughs> yeah. I I think it's going to be brought up pretty much. I don't want to say it's ever going to go away. But it just depends on what it, what happens in the future. If he gets, I feel like if he gets one one or two more wins, it won't be brought up nearly as much. I feel like we'll just have to see what he's like if he faces up against someone who tests every every part of his game, like uh, his grappling as well. Like I think he's got uh, that one grounded pound win, but I have to go back and watch that fight. Which fight was that? I think that was Charles Bird. Well, not Charles Bird was when he did the Travis Brown. Elbows. Okay. Like Bird, oh, yeah, Bird yeah. tried to press him up against the fence, and uh, Edmund just hammered him next to the next to the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was on Contender Series. The other factor as well, and a lot of people aren't talking about this one. The impact of Tarverdian won't be as high when he's fighting people like a Brad Tavares or a Derek Brunson. Mm-hmm. But what happens if he beats Brunson? And you're putting Tarverdian up against someone like Eugene Behrman. Yeah. And we've seen what a yeah. tactician Behrman is. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Because that was an, that was another factor that I think a lot of people overlooked with Ronda was that mm-hmm. I, I mean Ronda's record as champion, in my opinion, was a lot better than people give her credit for. She beat some top female names at the time. But if you notice as well, the people that she lost to, it wasn't just that they were great strikers, they were also coached very well. It was Greg mm-hmm. Jackson, mm-hmm. it was Mike Brown. So I think the, the training side of it, the coaching side of it, is 
I think very important when it comes for like a young fighter. Okay. Yeah, I do see your point there. It could could definitely impact it because uh, how old was Misha when that uh, tough season happened? How old was she? Misha, I believe, is actually younger than uh, Ronda. I think. Um, so I think Ronda was, I think, twenty seven, and Misha was uh, twenty six. Wow. But okay. Misha had been fighting yeah. for a lot longer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I do see your point there. Younger fighter, probably more fire underneath them. Makes sense. Who are you picking for this one then? <laughs> Been hating on him the whole time, but I'm going. Uh, I'm going Derek Brunson. Why not? Let's go, uh, Derek Brunson. I'm first gonna... round knockout. I think Brunson. I mean, Brunson has a lot of knockout power. A lot of people forget that. The issue Brunson has is he he sometimes leads with his head in. We started against Whitaker. He was very wild in that first round. And basically part of the reason why Whitaker ended up getting the win was because Brunson was just charging in. And yeah. um, Whitaker just caught him. Quick hook and then just rocked him and couldn't do anything yeah. about the ground and pound. Shabazzian's capable of doing that. But... I don't know, I just think the occasion is just maybe going to be a bit too much for Shabazian. And added with Tarverdian, I just question whether or not he's going to be able to handle it. Then again, I thought the same thing would happen when he fought Brad Tavares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thought the same thing as well. <laughs> Looking further down the card, we've had a lot of changes um, over in the Williams. A lot of fighters have had to pull out um, due to injuries, due to COVID, all that sort of stuff. So... This card has chopped and changed a lot. One of the interesting ones, though, is the Coleman event. Now, this was supposed to be Viviana Uvayu taking on Jennifer Meyer. And to the surprise of a lot of people, Joanne Caldwood has stepped in on short notice to take on Meyer. Um, all the indications said that she was going to get the next title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. But Jojo said, hey, if I don't beat Jennifer Meyer, I don't deserve to get a title shot anyway. And I think financial pressures as well as played a part. She hasn't fought since September last year. This is a big gamble that JoJo's taking. Because she's she's potentially risking her title shot for uh, the few thousand dollars that she'll be getting for this fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this subject is all you. I'm not going <laughs> to say I got anything to talk about on it, but... Yeah, you can go ahead. Yeah, I mean, personally, I've wanted Jojo to be fighting for a title for a long time. Obviously, I'm a Brit, yeah. so I want to be seeing one of the Brits fighting for the title. Um, I understand it from her perspective that obviously she wants to get paid. She wants to make herself a little bit more money. And I think when you think about it as well, the title picture of women's flyweight, while it's still not great, it's a lot more competitive than it was. Because when Georgia was announced for that title shot, she looked like the only realistic person that should be getting the fight. But recently we've seen Cynthia Calvillo enter in the top five. Lauren Murphy's on a good winning streak. You've got potentially Jessica Andrade coming into the division. All those fights on paper would be more interesting than the Calderwood fight. So if Georgia does get herself a win, from a biased perspective, I hope she does... That just confirms her place to say, hey, you are worthy of being the next contender. And all indications seem to be that Shev started training again. 
we could be looking at December for the next title fight, regardless of who that person is. Okay. Um, okay. As, as mentioned before, personally, I do hope that Jojo can get this done. But she said it's best as well. If she can't beat Jennifer Myers, she doesn't deserve the title shot. The question is, who gets it instead? Well, uh, it's surprising that Andrade is dropping down. What's even more surprising is her opponent. Jessica Rye. Yeah, Jessica Die. That's what I've been seeing people comment on that fight. <laughs> that is stylistically a nightmare matchup for Jess. I yes. don't think that's going to end very well for her at all. What I will say about Jessica Rye, though, is for the level of fighter that she is, because she's not the greatest fighter in the world, she gets yeah. a truckload of hatred, which, in my, <laughs> in my opinion, is just maybe a bit too much for the level that she is. Like, if she was yeah, this sort of crazy. omnipresent annoyance, for all reason, give her grief. But I, <laughs> I don't take it seriously. The best way to look at Jessica Rye is to look at her sort of as a, sort of like a comedy WWE heel, sort of like a Santino Morella type. They're going to say something okay. brash and stupid, but you know they're going to get the comeuppance. You know they're going to slip on a banana peel and everyone's going to laugh at them. So just look <laughs> at Jessica Rye in that way, and she's a lot more tolerable. Okay. Like, honestly, yeah, here, we, here We Go Evil is one of the funniest things. I love cringe humor like that, so the whole Here We Go Evil stuff I just thought was brilliant. Of course, you would find that brilliant, but... <laughs> I think it's a pretty good idea. The heel, it does make sense. I do see that approach. But yeah, I think Andrade. That I think for me, with Andrade going down, going up, I should say, to flyweight. Yeah. A lot of that is more due to her title aspirations at at strawweight. Mm -hmm. Because. Now, I mean, Rose has got the win over her now. She's not going to be getting another shot at Whaley because of how one-sided the first fight was. So I don't really see a real, like a short-term way for her to get to the title. So I think going up to flyweight from that perspective, which is a weak division, she could need... I mean, if she goes in there and knocks out Jessica Ryan in the first round, the title shot could very easily be hers. Yeah, yeah. I think she's trying to go for that type of route. I think I think she personally asked for that fight. I think so. And I think the UFC... I think the UFC sort of see Jessica Ryan in sort of an artificial position. So she's being used as the whipping girl to try and build up anyone who's coming into that division. <laughs> I mean, I, gu yes. I guarantee you that after this fight, if Jessica Ryan was to lose, which I think a lot of people are thinking that she will, They'll put her against someone like Agapova or Tyler Santos or someone, one of those sort yeah. of rising flyweights. She's going to be that kind of fighter from now on. Yeah, it feels horrible to be talking about somebody like this. <laughs> yeah, I, it is awful. It is awful. And I mean, I don't dislike Jessica Rye. I just, that's the brutal nature of the sport, especially in the matchmaking process. We saw that with Hebas and Paige Van Zandt. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much mm -hmm. did Dana love Paige around 2014, 2015? And then. Obviously, they have disagreements about pay and all that sort of likes. And now he's moved on to Hebas, and she just basically gets thrown under the bus. Oh, you want to leave the UFC? We're going to smash your stock by giving you this 
bright new prospect. Yeah, the best way I, I look at that is it, it felt like some guy realized he could find a better girlfriend and he just ditched ditched his ex. That's the best way to look at the he boss and Paige Van's <laughs> situation. But now now Paige is going to BKFC, so everybody's happy. That isn't your doing, is it? No, no, that's real. I reached out to those people. They actually looked into it, and a lot of people are saying that's real. <laughs> I can't get my head around that one. I really can't get my head around it because I wouldn't say Paige was even an out-and-out striker. Yeah. She's more of a grappler. Yeah, so, and a, a pretty girl like that choosing to do bare-knuckle fighting, it's, it feels so crass. I mean, I mean all indications were she was going to fight in Bellator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like that was literally what, like, exactly what was gonna happen. It seemed like it was destiny, pretty much. And when it was like, it was just like written, like she goes to Bellator, she gets reunited with her husband. They do a big yeah. marketable fight between her and someone like Heather Hardy. Yeah. Everyone wins. I could see them maybe doing Beck Rawlings versus Paige Anzan and BKFC. That could be big. <laughs> <laughs> Because Beck's actually turned out quite well in bare knuckle. Yeah, she has. She is. I don't think she's gotten that many brutal cuts. She's actually kicked ass in that. She looked really good in that. And then she immediately went to Bellator again. She lost in her first fight back in MMA. Any other guys? Strange. Any other guys standing out for you on the fight card for the Brunson card? I mean, Vincent Luque, uh, always great entertainment. Yeah. Randy Brown, yeah. he can bring it time and again. Lando Venata and Bobby Green, they're rematching. First fight, UFC 216. Absolute belter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Holland as well, he's always a quirky character. <laughs> I always remember him for the, the Santos fight. The Santos fight. fight, yeah. That's crazy that they pushed that guy so fast into Thiago Santos. Like, that was nuts. I remember saying back then, that's really fast. Well, I, I think what happened, I think Kevin Holland took that fight on short notice. Yeah. Tiago yeah, Santos yeah. was going to fight someone else. Holland stepped in on, I think it was something like seven days. And story I heard, Same. don't take this as gospel, I think something happened when he was on the Contender Series. Something happened between him and uh, Laura Sanko. <laughs> okay. And that was seen as a punishment fight for him. Now, again, this is just all two plus two equals five, but that's <laughs> the, the story that I heard. What do you mean something happened? Did he, like, try to kiss her or something like grab her ass or something that's the implication really okay but again this is just gossip if kevin <laughs> holland is listening to this i apologize that's an mma conspiracy theory yes right there. we were talking about them before we went on the air that's one right there perfect chill through the anderson fight i like uh the, uh, which one was that? The Coleman versus Takata? Oh, that's, that's blatant, that one. That is so <laughs> blatant. I mean, Coleman was doing the full-on WWE handout. Oh, I'm going to tap, I'm going to tap. <laughs> if you go back and uh, watch that, you can hear, like, Boss really flipping out on he that. Knows. He, he knows. He knows. Because I think Boss did some stuff with New Japan around the same sort of time. So he knew how worked fights worked. 
Well, what I heard is he was on the Joe Rogan show, and uh, he actually heard through the grapevine like a couple of weeks before that uh, he was gonna tap him out like exactly like it was like two minutes into the first round or something like it, the time that it happened. So when the media happened, they said, "What do you think's gonna happen in the fight?" He said, "I think he's gonna tap him out two minutes into the first round." <laughs> this is exactly what happened. <laughs> if you go on YouTube, they've actually got that fight uploaded. Under the title, really? Mark okay. Coleman Disgraces America. <laughs> Alright, perfect. I'll have to check that out. So is that what you're going to do after this show finishes? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Before we start wrapping things up, any sort of um, any sort of bits and pieces that you want to be tying, tying up? Looking at the prelim card here for that card. Seeing any names that popping out? Just Gerald Murchard, he's fighting Ed Herman. That'll be a great fight. Ed Herman, the slowest fighter in the UFC, but I still love watching him fight. <laughs> like, honestly, I watched him. Uh, I think he was on the. I think he fought on the Russia card, you know. He's his yeah. last fight. Yeah, he fought on the Russia card against a guy called Ibragimov, and he absolutely decimated the guy with elbows <laughs> in the clinch. Wow, okay. So, I mean, he is as slow as hell, but he still brings it. He's nearly 40. Um, you know how... Have you ever listened to the OSW podcast? Nope. They always have this nope. thing about who their boys are. So, it's sort of like middle-of-the-road fighters who aren't really sort of critically acclaimed. Sort of a bit embarrassing to admit you like them. That's Ed <laughs> Herman for me. Ed Herman is one of my boys. Okay pretty interesting yeah. oh yeah we got to talk about uh Ahmed versus Weidman oh yeah that's happening on the um that's happening next week that's the Derek Lewis Lexi Linick card yeah that's another interesting fight that could potentially be a nightmare matchup for Derek Lewis if he doesn't play that right the question is can you see I mean Derek Lewis is not great on the ground yeah but can, I, can you see Linick tapping him out well, uh, what was that one fight? The uh, Blagoy fight. You remember when he had him in that huge... It looked like that... Uh, what he, he had him in like a Kimura or something, and it looked like his arm was about to snap, and he literally just got up. Like, <laughs> it looked like something you see in a video game where you just hold L1 and up to get up in like UFC. It literally... It was quite strange to watch, but yeah, you're, you're right on there. It could be interesting to see. That Blagoy fight is so underrated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The flying knees that he did. That was when he was trying to... He, apparently, he actually put, like, 110% into, like, his actual training camp. And that was after he got those steroids put into his back for, like, his back problems. Like, that was apparently when he was 100%. And it, so, it yeah, shows as well. I mean, he looks so yeah. much leaner. Yeah, he was throwing some crazy flying elbows and stuff like that. It was nuts. <laughs> I've always said, you know, that... Because Derek Lewis got a lot of ridicule when they put him versus DC together for the title. Yeah, yeah. The way that Derek Lewis got his title shot was worth taking the mick out of. Derek Lewis himself fighting for the title was justified. He was on a yeah. great run of form. Like, big, powerful knockout artist who could... He could... I mean, most people thought, yeah, DC's going to be dominating this fight on the ground. But there was always this part of you in the back of your head which just thought hey Derek can catch him 
We've seen Derek Lewis come from behind plenty of times to get these big knockout wins. What's to say he's gonna he's not gonna do the same thing again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He always has that uh, he always has that surprise knockout power in him. Travis Brown fight, great fight, but he always seems to get rocked pretty mm. early. He doesn't take body shots well. Yeah, yeah. As for myself, in terms of the odds and ends on my perspective, it's Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. Now, we don't normally talk about boxing <laughs> on this show, but we've heard these stories and it was confirmed that Mike Tyson is going to be making a comeback of sorts. He's going to be having an eight-round yeah. exhibition up against Roy Jones Jr. Heavier gloves. Um, it's going to be just light sparring. They're not going to be trying to knock each other out. And... I think from that perspective, it's one of the better ways that they can do that. However, I don't want to be seeing a 54-year-old Mike Tyson fighting again. As good as he looks punching the bags, as good as Roy Jones looks punching the bags, and as for all the nostalgia that comes from seeing these two greats putting on the gloves once again, there's a time and a place for that, and that was 10, 15 years ago. Well, I hear it's like uh, he's starting up like a whole league. It's like Legends League. It's what it's what we've been calling for, sort of a Legends division, like Vitor Belfort. What do you have? To... <laughs> yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'm the only one that has been calling for that. But, yeah, it's supposed to be just like that, literally a boxing and MMA. Like, I think Logan Paul is fighting somebody on there, an NBA player or something. But I heard there is supposed to be some MMA to boxer crossovers on that. So, we'll have to see. I'm not sold on it. And what a lot of people forget as well is that Mike tried doing something similar after he retired first time. Really? Okay. Because 2005 before Kevin McBride got knocked out, retired on the ground. And then a year later, he tried doing this sort of like, this sort of pay-per-view tour of him doing sparring matches with Corey Sanders. And that just didn't take off at all. And I just feel it's him just trying to repeat the same thing. You think it's just going to be a glorified sparring match? I do. And I think Mike's going to be rolling in the money because people are going to be thinking it's more. Yeah, I heard that they're trying to push it like it's a like an actual actual fight, but I don't I don't believe it. I think they're gonna sort of rob a lot of people. <laughs> I do as well, and I find that boxing does that a lot more than mixed martial arts. Yeah, I think maybe it's because the structure is a bit different, and so sort of like the UFC, which is the big draw rather than the fighter. But like outside of the whole CM Punk stunt. And to a lesser extent, Brock coming in and getting the big matches because of the WWE career. Um, It doesn't really happen in mixed martial arts all that often at the high level. Whereas in boxing, you get loads of like athletes and actors from other sports doing celebrity matches. You get Logan Paul versus KSI. And (laughs) they can still do a lot of money, but they don't... They have an adverse effect on the sport, in my opinion. People yeah. who watch a Logan Paul versus KSI fight aren't going to be sticking around to watch Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely see what you're looking at. I just think it's so funny. Imagine, I would like to see some of that in MMA, to be honest, but I would like to see more crossover. Like MMA stars going to YouTubers. Why not Dylan Dennis versus Jake Paul? Come on, dude. I believe that last year on the regional circuit, there was a celebrity MMA sort of event which happened. 
Oh yeah, I think I remember hearing about that. I think that was one of the. Oh, man, I'm trying to think of the organization. Oh, there's one that's really obscure that normally do stuff like that, but it's normally with like uh, Polish like celebrities and stuff like that. Like normally European MMA circuits, you see stuff like that. I've got. You don't I've really got the. See it in America. I've got the article here. Horses celebrities to set the face off in the UK first with social media and TV stars going head to head in MMA combat. Former celebrity Big Brother star Dapper Laughs is on the fight, along with Geordie Shaw duo Sam Gowland and Marty McKenna in the main event. In the only women's bout of the night, YouTube gamer Ashley Marie tackles Love Island's beauty Georgia Harrison. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So it's just YouTubers and reality TV stars. <laughs> that's, that's so obscure that they're bringing out like Big Brother and stuff. <laughs> I mean, Big Brother has been relevant for like a decade. Oh yeah, some people have literally made careers off of being contestants on that. That's nuts. Then again, that's every reality show. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm right saying that. Can you remember Power Rangers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Green Power Ranger actually had an MMA career. Yeah, he did. He did. I think he killed somebody though. I know one of the Power Rangers ended up killing somebody. <laughs> My nephew's going through a real Power Rangers phase right now. I probably shouldn't mention that to him then. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and on that cheery note, I think we'll have to end the show. All right. I want, to, be here. I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been uh, committing to the show over the past, um, what was it now, six or seven months since we started doing this? Oh, yeah, like 18 episodes. Yep. 18 episodes in, um, we record them if we feel like it but no the fan base seems to be there we're getting a lot more listeners than what we normally do uh, so i want to say a big thank you to everybody who's been tuning in for the first time um, any sort of criticisms any sort of comments that you have in regards to the show please uh, get those to us we'll try and work them out um, and we'll also try and uh, get a couple more of the classic rewatches going um claire, claire will be choosing which show that's going to be because he i think he called it absolutely right on the head when he chose UFC 112. So have you got anything in mind yet, Claire? I'm thinking something strike force. Let's let's dip our toes into strike force. You think that's a good idea? I think that's a very good idea. I'm thinking when I'm thinking strike force, I'm thinking maybe like what Fedor versus the Doom or uh, Ronda versus Misha, something along those sort of lines. We could just watch the whole heavyweight Grand Prix. That would be interesting. That, well, I mean, apart from Fedor vs. Bigfoot, because that's so sad to watch. <laughs> yeah, if you want to skip that, we can. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. We could do that. Yeah, so it'll probably be Strike Force that we're going to be watching next. If you have any sort of comments on shows that you would like us to watch, then please get those to us. Follow all of the uh, stuff on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. We're also on Twitter as well, twitter.com in cage fighting. And, and for that, and on that. Bomb Michelle, it's time for us to end. My name's been Carl Bimich, that's been Claire Richardson. Pleasure to be here. I'm going to get sued by Top Gear for stealing Jeremy Clarkson's line, and we'll see you again next time. Bye bye for now. See ya.